right, y'all. Welcome on back to another episode of the Nobody Told Me About Podcast. Hey, what's up, man? What's up? Gang, gang, gang. <laughs> Hello. Hello out there. <laughs> oh, man. So we got a we got a cool episode for y'all coming up. Um, we're going to discuss our recap, our in-core conference, the National Conference on Race, Ethnicity, and Higher Education. And kind of go over the sessions that we went we went to um, keynote speakers that we attended, um, things to do around Portland, uh, which was where the conference was. Um, kind of talking about like a little bit about happiness and like where, what you all define it as and what we define it as. Um, then kind of ending off there. So we got a we got a packed episode for y'all. But before we begin, Keish, I wanted to ask you. I told you this before. I wanted to wait till we were live. But how do you feel about coming onto the podcast full time? <gasps> full time. <laughs> Damn, hold on. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check my schedule. Talk to my agent. Um, Wait, we're paying. Damn. Oh, oh, we're bet. Sign me up. Thirty thirty cents an hour. <laughs> wow. Let me negotiate. Let me get thirty five and a meal stipend. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's cool. I think our the last episode that we did, I think got a lot of, a lot of good feedback. Um, and this episode here, I think is gonna also get some good feedback, especially for those who are within um our career paths and. You know, or even are looking to attend conferences throughout the next couple of months or so, or going into next academic year. So, um, yeah, man, I think you know, just being on two episodes out of the four that I've already had, I think it would just be right to put you on. But I'll leave that up to you. We can kind of talk about that later on after the episode, or up to you. You guys vote. Do you all want me to be here full time? Yes hey, or no in that, the Instagram poll. <laughs> yeah, that's how we. That's how we're gonna do it. I'm gonna put a poll out on Instagram. Make sure y'all check it out. Make sure no, actually, out. maybe don't because if you get hella nose, I'm gonna be sad. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna go ahead and and get started into our um, conference stuff. So as I stated earlier, we attended the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity um, in Higher Education this year. It was in Portland, Oregon, um, around the week of Memorial Day. So. Um, it, it, it's a lot to, to kind of prepare for a conference. Um, and depending on which one you're going to, whether that's something within your career or, with, or something outside, that's a little bit more um, personal for you. Um, it's a lot that goes into it, right? Like the money piece, the, where the location is, the traveling part, and what to expect. And occasionally I kind of wanted to kind of start with that, right? To just get the ball rolling with like what to prepare for when attending a conference. And I kind of just start off with like my experience, right? Um, one flights are not cheap right Sheesh. now at all, at all. So um, I think that's the biggest thing when you all are looking to attend these conferences, um, whether in higher education or, or outside of higher ed, um, make sure you, you find the facilities for it because it, the, the flight one was really expensive, but, um, you factor in a flight, you factor in the conference registration fees, uh, depending on if you did the pre-conference or the regular conference, on top of maybe transportation to the location, all those different things kind of factor in. Um, you end up spending a, a hefty penny depending on um, where the conference is. So, uh, yeah, we kind of want to start with that. Like, just make sure you're prepared, like, financially. And I think Keisha had, had brought up a good thing about, you know, like, we could spend – I'll let you kind of say it, Keisha, I don't want to take your thunder with it. But, you know, we could spend this money on other things. And so why not spend it on our education? Word, yeah. So, for me, the first thing I wanted to do was, you know, have a conversation um, with some professional staff within my institution to see if I can get some professional development funds to attend said conference. Um, all of y'all listening in that work in higher education, hopefully you've already had that conversation with your supervisor or maybe it was talked about in your onboarding process or within your interview. Um, just because I know some institutions have professional development funds like set aside for you within your package. 
Um, so long story short, I was not able to get said professional development funds for the trip, um, which was a bit of a bummer, not going to lie. Um, but at the end of the day, I wanted to sit down and like really think about like what I needed, like professionally, as well as like spiritually, like wanting to be around a conference revolving around these topics and this community of people. Um, so I said, you know what? On a regular type of summer, I'd spend this much money going to an all-inclusive resort, getting lit with my friends, partying, having fun. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I said, you know what? I should be able to take that same amount of funds and that same energy and invest it into myself professionally. So I said, you know what? This is going to be an out-of-pocket expense, but I wanted to pay my way for the transportation, the hotel, and the conference because I really felt like I needed it professionally. And I'm back, and I had that whole experience, and I do not regret it for sure. Back, so yeah, I mean that that oh, that pro devo thing. If y'all have departments or working departments where they can pay for a portion of the conference, whether it's registration, your flight, hotel, whatever that may be, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, and I, I definitely agree with Case when he talks about you know making sure that you can go on these conferences and you have the funds for it and um, working with your department. If you can't, like it really just depends on like your need and your want to be at said conference, right? Um, I, for me, it. I loved Encore and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. Um, I had, this was my first time attending it. Um, and I wanted to attend back in 2020, but you know, hashtag COVID. Um, so I think that for me, this, it, it did what it was supposed to do. I was willing to, to fork out whatever money I needed to fork out, but um, also my department was able to pay for some of that. So um, going forward, if y'all, you know, that's a piece of advice. If y'all have some pro depot funds, don't just let it go by the wayside, like really invest in yourself invest in going to these conferences. I mean, you will meet so many people, the networks that we've met while we, while we were there, you know, we'll talk about that in a couple. Um, but I think that was really helpful when uh, we attended the conference. So yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I will also, I will also add to a little something too, is that, you know, you meet all of these great people at these conferences. And one thing that I was told when I attended like my first conference back in grad school was that make sure you have enough business cards. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one thing, right? If y'all are ever traveling to conferences, make sure you have enough business cards because you're going to meet so many people and, you know, you want to make sure that you keep, keep in contact with all these people too. So, yeah. Yeah. You bring like more than five, like you think you might not be passing those things up, but they get traded like, like Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Like it's really Thanks. no lie. Like people immediately within those first couple minutes of small talk, like, here's my information. Um, you, you should talk about Darius's business card because that was dope. <laughs> Yeah, so so um, shout out to Darius. He is a grad student at uh, FSU, and he actually has like a digital business card where like it's like a, a black card, like a credit card, hard hard shell type of thing. You pull it out, you scan the QR code, um, and it takes you to like their link, which is like there. It's gonna have their name, their profession, um, and then like any questions you want to ask them or like things you want to do to keep in contact with them. So. I thought that was pretty good. I forget the name of it. Do you remember the name of that I name? do not. All I remember is that he whipped it out, and it was shiny, and he dropped it on the table, <laughs> and it had some weight to it. I was like, baller. <laughs> Actually, I do remember. It's called Mobilo. So, Mobilo, if you hear us right now, um, we expect some type of check. M-O-B-I-L-O, Mobilo card. Sponsor. Um, it's, it's like $80 or something like that. Um, traveling with the kid is no joke. But shout out to all the wonderful devices that they make for parents now that cost a lot of money. Um, I was able to bring um, my child's stroller and um, carrier on the plane with me as a check bag. So, I mean, that was a pretty cool option. There are a lot of different different perks to traveling as a parent and with a newborn. So under two, they fly for free. So 
Um, yeah, if you are looking to attend conferences or really anywhere um, and trying to take a flight and you have a newborn under two years, I say, you know, look into some options, look into ways that you can pack um, strategically and all that. So uh, that's something that I did want to touch on a little bit. So we talked a little bit about the conference or, or preparing for this conference. So I wanted to dive into like the conference, the sessions that we attended, the key, the wonderful keynote speaker that we attended um, and a little bit talking a little bit more about that networking piece. So. Um, I can kind of start off with the, with one of the sessions or two of the sessions that really stood out to me that I attended at Encore. Um, one was about belonging um, that was facil- facilitated by two professionals. Um, and one thing that I kind of took away from this uh, belonging session, um, one was during the intro. It's a seven word biography intro. So something that really describes you. So one of the, the speakers were uh, they had their seven word biography and theirs was like leader, um, daughter, mother. Um, spiritual um, educator and a couple of other words, right? And then they kind of explained each word, um, and I thought that was a pretty cool like way to introduce yourself. Um, and then they kind of had each each person kind of go around and do that seven word bio if they wanted to or not. And I think that was a really cool and interesting and unique way to introduce people because I wasn't used to that. Usually, it's just like you know, hey, I'm James, I'm from this university, and kind of just go about. But I think that seven word biography really stood out to me. Um, ultimately what they talked about during this session was a sense of belonging and how to create that amongst the students. Um, and the biggest thing that I, that I thought stood out to me was the creating spaces for black and brown students were a lot more challenging, um, than, than they thought it would be. Uh, their institutional profile, they were at an emerging HSI, um, kind of a, a mid-size, um, public institution. And they were really trying to create a space for black and brown students to kind of just come and hang out and chill. Um, where they can really just like be themselves. And they found a lot of challenges in that. Um, and one of those challenges, surprising to me, um, was the, the lack of buy-in from those who identified um, with those black and brown students. Um, for me, I, I just think that is something that's important to me. Um, but I also realized that like Angela Rye, she has said on multiple podcasts of hers that all my skin folk ate my kinfolk. Um, that's the unfortunate piece, right? Is that not when you're trying to do something good for 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 your people or for a group of people. Not everybody, including your own people, will want to buy into that. So, um, I thought that that belonging session was pretty good. Um, it was a pretty good opening session for me, where it talked about, um, like I said, like just that sense of belonging, creating that change at an institution, but also know that that change is very very difficult. So, yeah, Kish, I, I pass it over to you if you have like a session or anything that you attended or wanted to add on to that. Word. Um. So the first session that I went to, it kind of touches upon that same kind of topic surrounding student success and belonging. Um, But it was framed in a Latinx perspective. Um, The presenters um, work and serve a a predominantly Hispanic institution. um, And they talked about like their student belonging and like mentoring program for Latinx students. Um, The presentation was entitled King Tu Eres, Who Are You? Affirming Latinidad as a pathway for student success. So Latinidad is refers to, like your sense of what it means to be Latino, Latina, Latinx, um, because like, you know, people can subscribe to that, but not be from the same countries, not come from the same cultures. So it was cool to like enjoy that session apart from just like learning and the education behind it. Like I just actually enjoyed it. It was cool listening to them speak. It was cool listening to them speak Spanish. It was cool just being a part of an audience that, you know, had people that looked like me. That was part of like the motivation behind going to this conference. And I'm glad that like, that's what I got out of it. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the actual content of what they talked about, um, that sense of belonging was like very much fostered by 
having mentors or people that looked like these students within that professional space. And kind of like you mentioned, James, a part of that challenge was like buy-in and like getting stakeholders to be invested in the success of these students. Um, and like they had faculty and staff that definitely were part of the program, but not all. Um, but something else that they talked about too, um, which I found very interesting was treating family members as stakeholders as well. Um, just because these students are not minors and they're 18, 19, 20, um, doesn't mean that like family does not play an important role in their success academically, professionally, or even socially. So making sure that like relationships were like built with family members as much as possible, um, hiring translators or having staff that like were bilingual um, at certain events and occasions and programs that can like help communicate and bridge that gap with family members, especially like, you know, at a Hispanic serving institution where a lot of these families are Latino, Hispanic, whatever it may be. And, you know, English is not the, the language that they speak at home. Um, so yes, treating family members as stakeholders was very important because you got to get it where you can get it. Um, and like, it takes a village ultimately to make sure that these kids and young adults can turn out successful in their lives. Um, so that was a really cool takeaway from that. But do you feel like you've had the opportunity to be in a space with, um, with Latinx people in higher education, like you were at the conference? No. So for me, and this is a conversation I've had with you personally a lot, James, where I am a Puerto Rican, Dominican, first generation college student. Um, and I come from like a diverse high school setting and like not necessarily a very diverse setting when it comes to like my undergraduate or graduate experience. And like the diversity and that kinship that I got was from like from the UF program um, or like programs like that. Um, but again, it was like a lot of like maybe black or African-American identifying individuals. And at the end of the day, like, you know, we have a lot of the same struggles and a lot of those connections are there and the similarities are there. But at the end of the day, I am not a black male. So all of my experiences don't necessarily align with like all the experiences that you have, James, for example. So being able to be a part of an environment of people where like they come from Puerto Rico, they come from DR, they're Chicanos, they're from Mexico um, and like seeing what their individual and unique struggles are um, and like how they've overcome that, especially when you talk about like the language barrier and when you talk about family members as a stakeholder, um, since like, you know, family is a very huge part of like Latino culture. Um, it was very interesting to experience that. And that was something that I really wanted to be a part of and something that I wanted to pursue, a big motivation of me going to this conference. Um, and it was just cool. It was just really cool seeing people that like were in the same boat as me, um, were individuals that also like worked at a predominantly white institution, um, even people that like worked at community colleges or two year schools and didn't have like the resources or the representation within their faculty and staff to like you know, head up these programs and how they can like take these programs and ideas and translate them to a smaller setting. Um, there was a lot of dialogue happening, a lot of discourse. Um, and I was just glad that I was a, a part of that room. And that's why I asked you the question, because I know that for you, like you haven't been in a lot of spaces like that. Um, and, that and, and being at that conference and being, and be, be, being able to be in a space like that with um, with people who may identify similar to you. Um, I know is really important, like not only to me, but also to you. So that's why I asked you that question. So I appreciate that. And um, it kind of goes and you kind of go into this next session. So we'll touch on this, the identity session that we want to and then we'll circle back to that uh, keynote speaker. Um, but you, you talk about identity. Right. So another session that we went to was the identity um, lived experiences and growth for first generation professionals. And this 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 session was so eye opening because one, it was jam packed. Um, there was there was standing room and all the seats were filled. Um, they were there were three presenters from I believe UCLA, yeah. correct, Keish? Yeah, three presenters from UCLA, and they worked in Res Life. 
Um, and it kind of just talked about like, you know, what it means to be a first gen professional. Um, and I'll kind of, I'll pass it over to you, Casey, you want to kind of start off with that one. Cause I think we both got something from this. Um, but I want to pass it over to you to see if you had like anything. Word. What I appreciated was like the first thing they asked, um, to like the group was, what is your glow? Like that was like the ice breaking question that we talked amongst ourselves about and then, you know, talked about it, uh, you know, to the group. Um, so what's your glow meaning? Like, what is your passion? Like what makes you happy? Um, and like the person that I met, which is really cool, I turned to my right. Um, and there was a guy named Hector, uh, and Hector, um, was a Mexican first generation college student that just recently received his doctorate in like microbiology, but he had a lot of like passions and motivations to, um, you know, serve students from marginalized populations. And I'm like, wow, bro, you a Renaissance man. Like you out here in the humanities and you already have a whole doctorate in STEM. So that was just cool in terms of like networking and meeting people at these conferences. But, um, we talked about how like you might have a personal glow. And I was like, oh, I like music. I like dancing. Like that's, you know, that's what I'm all about. Um, but then like professional glows as well. Like what makes you happy within your work? Um, for me, it's definitely connecting with these students, having one-on-ones, doing the icebreakers over the summer, like with trainings, orientation, stuff like that. Um, so it was just cool to see like what everyone's glow was within that space and what makes everyone excited to be there before we even talked about like the trials, the tribulations, the obstacles, um, because we were all there as a result of our hard work. Um, so it was cool to just like focus on some positive energy for a minute before going into like everyone's backstory. Um, but not to take away from the backstory, I think, you know, once the presenters started talking about like their stories, a lot of what they talked about resonated with me. I'm sure a lot of it resonated with you as well, James. Like these are first generation college students from, uh, Mexican backgrounds, from Asian backgrounds. The one girl was a first generation Egyptian student. Um, and she talked about like her hardships with belonging and connecting and like navigating, spaces as a student and now as a professional um and like the amount of like resonating that was happening there i was like wow like this is the reason why i'm here like i really feel like i connect with their stories i'm looking around the room and like people are just nodding their heads snapping like and everyone just like understands what that struggle is of like not only being a first generation college student but then you made it right you got the degree or your master's degree and you got two degrees as well hector next to me had a whole doctorate so we made it academically and now we're here in this professional space and we still don't know what the F we're doing. <laughs> like we're still trying to figure it out. Right, so. And if you don't have a mentor or somebody that's like brought you up along the way, there's no blueprint. There's no rule book. And like, you kind of thought like, at least for me, within my experience, you could talk about this too, James, if you want, but once you graduated, it kind of felt like, well, all right, the finish line, like I made it. And now I'm a professional in this space and I don't know what I'm doing still. And I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, there's no mm-hmm. end. There's no end game. There's no finish line. It's just you growing, learning, and trying to figure it out along the way while serving students and serving others. So it was just cool to not feel alone in that, to like look around the space and see everyone else like agreeing with that and that resonating with them. So that was a huge takeaway from the conference for me. Yeah. And, and to your point, Cage, like and this is a national conference, y'all. Like this is there are, there are a bunch of people from different parts of the country here, maybe even internationally. Um, at this conference too. So, um, I mean, I think they did phenomenal. I, I agree with everything you said, Kation. Um, the person I sat next to his name, he's a professor from uh, Western Washington University. His name is Cam Moore. Um, he he told he is just like an amazing person. Like he, we were chatting it up, and um, you know, his seat was the only one open. Like when we came into the room, because you know everybody was in there. Um, and we just talked about like his his name and like how he was adopted and. 
Um, he actually got a name change, which is a pretty cool story for me, but I don't want to, that's like his personal business. So I don't want to talk about that. Cause if this gets back to me, like, yo, I told you that in confidence, like, Canceled. you know, I just uh, <laughs> leave that for him, but, but yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, he has, he has such an amazing story. He's a professor. Um, and the quote that he used throughout, throughout the whole time talking about his glow that, um, he's doing four positions and getting paid for one. Um, and that, I think that resonates with a lot of us in higher education, especially, um, during COVID and, and a little bit post COVID, right? Like just being being able to do all these different positions, not getting paid for it all, but we do it for the students. Um, that's what I took from his story, um, and, and from even from the presenter stories. Like they they told such heartwarming stories about like their upbringing, um, and and what they did to get to where they were. And like Keisha said, like just being just to that feeling of like still not knowing what to do, but you still made it, right? And I think as first gen professionals, um, as first gen students. Um, as first gen people with college degrees and all these different things, like we don't, there's not a blueprint for us, right? We can have as many mentors as we want, but at some point, you know, we'll be thrusted out there into the world to kind of fend for ourselves, so to speak. So I think, um, you touched on that mentorship piece, Keishan. I think that's really important, right? That we are, that we're trying to find like those that we could mentor, um, within our professions, those that are up and coming, because for us, for us, I, I can definitely say like that was important to us to have those people who um, look like us in our professions and um, people who could speak to our leadership, because we, there aren't a lot of people who are like us within this um, career field. So, yeah, that identity um, first gen professionals um, session was really amazing. Um, they also talked about imposter syndrome, which we all like. You know, Yo, you read my mind. That was well the next thing I was about to bring up in my notes. I got you. I got you. But yeah, no, I, I'll let you. Um, I'll let you grab it after after my um, little spiel. But yeah, like they talk about, like how you know, not feeling worthy, not feeling that you know you're in, um, you're in this space, not feeling that you're deserving of this space, and they kept on reaffirming that we are deserving, right? We are meant to be here. It's not by mistake. It's not some petty hire. We weren't hired to be in this place because they just needed a person of color. Like we were hired because of the skills that we bring, because of our talent. So. Um, yeah, I just thought that oh, that that was a good piece. And there are a couple of other things I want to touch on, but I'll pass it over to I you. I think what I thought that. about the most um, when we talked about imposter syndrome, or not syndrome, but imposter phenomenon, because within research and within like publications, um, it's been revealed that this is something that a lot of people deal with. So it's not necessarily a syndrome, but it's a, phenom a phenomenon, um, if I can say that word correctly. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what it made me think about was how the conversations I've had when I was younger, even in like high school and like the conversations that we've been a part of in undergrad, like how students of color and like, you know, even as like student leaders of color becoming more known on campus and having our face attached to like the institution and the logo and whatnot, we always had to make sure that like we did not miss a step. We did not miss a beat that we were always in our A game. Um, and whenever we made a mistake or whenever we maybe like went left instead of right, there was always a weight that was behind that because it's like, oh my gosh, like all of the relationships and the reputation and like my academic and professional success, like it is all about to all crumble down right now because of that one mistake. And I feel like because we're first generation college students, first generation professionals, that translates in our workplace. And like when we make a mistake or when something goes wrong, it really feels like the end of the world sometimes because we really have to make sure that we are presenting ourselves in a certain way in this environment. Um, and I think that's where like the imposter or like the fraud kind of like feelings come in because you want to make sure that you're being perceived as like a competent and effective professional. And the second you make one mistake, everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, they've discovered me. Like 
I don't, I don't know anything. Like, and I'm figuring out along the way. Like, they they caught me, <laughs> um, and there's nothing wrong with that, really. But right, I, right. it's it's something that like I know that I've experienced in my professional life, and it was just really interesting to see again a lot of heads nodding in the room and a lot of people resonating with that, and how that's an expectation that we not only set upon ourselves, but we feel like society kind of sets upon us, and especially in our workplaces. Um, because I'm pretty sure that like individuals that don't look like us might not have that same weight upon their shoulders. Um, and that's for a reason, you know? Um, so it was just interesting having that dialogue. Yeah, man, it it really was. There, there were a lot of takeaways, um, from this session as we both attended this. That's why we have so much to say. And it was just really eye opening because oftentimes we are the only ones, not just being the only ones within our identity, but the only ones really starting this new job, right? Um, there aren't a lot of people who we can go to say, oh, okay, this is our little cohort of people who have started. Um, like that's that's different in rest life because we have like cohorts of RDs who come in. Um, but typically that is not that is not the case, right? It's just you starting your job with like trying to maneuver and figure out like who can you rely on, who's your people, all that stuff. So um yeah, th- it, it, there were just so many takeaways. Another thing that they talked about was capital, right? So um, you know, talking about like cultural capital, symbolic capital, social capital, economic capital. And I think we both got something from that case. So I wanted to turn it over to you first to see if you had. Anything that was that so capital. enlightening. And like, I've never heard like information like framed or presented in that way. But it makes a lot of sense how one of the biggest things that um, first generation students and first generation professionals um, lack is like some kind of capital, because that's part of like, you know, the the obstacles or like the things that we need to overcome. Um, so something I had written down from that conversation was capital is something that serves as a form of power um, within social stratification um, within the guise of like mediocrity. Um, I think that makes sense. Hopefully maybe I wrote that wrong. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fraud. Oh no, I've been exposed. <laughs> no, I, I, you're okay, right with that. Cause I wrote so yeah, it was just thing. really cool to like talk about um, capital because I've always been aware of economic capital, obviously like, Coming from like a lower socioeconomic status and having like a lack of resources, all those things that's been very apparent. Exactly. Right. But that's been very apparent, especially with like, you know, students that come from those marginalized communities or come from like lower income backgrounds. But other kinds of capital that we talked about was cultural capital. Um, So like having knowledge or the lack of knowledge about a lot of things like. There are students that they're not first generation college students. So when it was time for them to fill out the FAFSA and go into college, like their parents knew immediately how to help them as opposed to like my situation where, you know, my mom was learning all these things at the same time as I was. So that was like a lack of knowledge culturally because that's not information that was passed down. And that's a form of capital um, that first generation students and professionals need to like overcome. Um, another one is like symbolic capital. So that one was more like, you know, your your title and like your mannerisms and like sometimes it made me think about code switching as well, like how you speak to others and how you present yourself. Um, and some people have those skills um, and some people don't really believe in code switching and want to remain like extremely authentic within those professional spaces. Um, but then like how does that affect them within their capital and within like their gain um, within that social kind of like hierarchy? Um, so that was really interesting. And then like that last one in that list was like social capital. Um, and that's when like the networking piece comes in and like we coming from the backgrounds that we come from, 
we don't know many people that went to college to begin with or graduated or are now working in the field that we are working in now. So that is a very small pool of people to network with, which again was a very big motivating piece behind wanting to go to this conference in the first place. Um, because I really feel like I gained a good amount of social capital by attending this conference. Um, so that was like a huge conversation and, and, and you know, um, presentation that they gave. And I learned a lot from that. Yeah, man, I definitely agree with you, Case. Like, I think this this session, as you all can tell, like we were, we were really excited about this session because we felt seen, we felt heard and validated. Um, and as I stated earlier, like we don't really get a lot of times or spaces where, you know, we can just like help, we can understand like, hey, this is what's going on in our lives and talk to somebody about it. Because ultimately, like we're working in departments where, you know, they're, they're, they've already developed their own culture. They've already developed their own system. You're kind of coming in and just bringing in, like, your skills. You're, like, filling in the filling in the, the, the creases and everything like that. And we don't get to have those experiences of talking about what that actually means, um, how you play a role in that. And, I mean, that also kind of leads into, like, what, why people ultimately end up leaving, like, their jobs to higher ed, right? Because they come in and they don't feel connected to anybody, not just within the department, but outside of the department. They don't have any like cultures or, or, or friends or people or anything like that nearby who they can kind of rely on. And that that's the biggest piece about this, about not just this whole conference, but that session was that, you know, like you have to be able to find your people and know that you're worthy and know that you're meant to be there because you can be inspiring somebody else. Right. Um, and that's what I got from this, too. Like there are a lot of people who are in that room who weren't just, and I think you talked about this earlier, Case, they weren't just, you know, first gen professionals. Some of them, like the guy who I spoke to, um, Cam Ward, like he, he's been working for 20 plus years, you know? He wasn't a first gen professional, but he was attending that, that, um, that session because people had told him throughout his life and throughout his, his time in higher ed that he wasn't worthy, that he couldn't do X, Y, and Z because of, um, because of whatever, whatever it may be. Um, even one of my mentors, right? Like he worked at an institution in New Jersey, and um, his story is, is similar too. You know, like he managed he managed thousands of dollars of budgets, and um, when he worked at his institution, he had talked to his supervisor, and his supervisor was like, "Yeah, you know, like I can't allow you to manage, you know, a hundred dollars or whatever it may be." Um, so, like, you know, like it's just the work that you have to really put in for people to know that you you have done this work and you're reliable. That I think is not talked about enough. So. Yeah, I wanted to kind of put that in there. Too. Yeah, that makes me think about, again, like that imposter phenomenon and like having to prove yourself within these spaces already from like a deficit mindset where you feel like you're lacking in all these things and how you need to overcome all those forms of capital just to prove yourself. When at the end of the day, like that is not beneficial to anybody's mental health and that is very draining and adds to like the burnout process. Um, and like what really helps is when you yourself as a professional have a sense of belonging within your institution, within your workplace. Because it's funny, too, how, you know, a lot of these programs are focused on students and their sense of belonging and how that affects their academic success. But like professionals working within those spaces are human beings as well. And it's important that that culture extends beyond the students for the entire institution when you're including staff in that, too, because I want to feel a sense of belonging as well within my institution. Like it's not it's not just a, it's not just a student thing. It's a human being thing. That's a fact, Joe. That's a fact. And and not to mention, too, like, I just feel like that that's where, like, working in a multi-generational department as well, like, also comes into play where, like, you'll have people who from the older generation who are, like, who are sometimes, like, I don't want to generalize, but sometimes are, like, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, and you know, do what you got to do, make sure you do the work. 
Um, but their but their mental health piece they don't want they don't focus on right like that's not important to them um, because it's just that's just not what what was taught to them right. But for us right being entry level and mid level staff members, you know like we are really focusing on that mental health piece, focusing on that sense of belonging right. Whereas they weren't, and I think that's another important part right. Like you have to be able to make sure that you are taking care of yourself when you're in these predicaments, like when you're in departments where you don't feel needed, when you don't feel wanted. Um, but also know that enough is enough, right? Like if you have only been at a job for a couple of months and you're like, hey, like this is not working for me. Like I don't feel connected. I don't feel like I'm being useful. It's time to hang up the gloves and, and potentially work somewhere else. Now I'm in no way, shape, or form encouraging anybody to quit their job today. But I think that that's important because you have to be able to feel connected to the place of work because you spend 40 hours a week at this place, right? So it's, you have to be able to be like, okay, well, I want to have a positive attitude coming into work. I want to choose my attitude. Um, and how can I do that? And if you don't feel connected to that space, if you don't feel connected yeah, to that and place. Obviously, like a lot of that has to do with like you as an individual and like the energy and the attitude that you choose and you bring to that space. Um, and like what you try to create for yourself, but it's not all on you. Like, again, like culture is a very important thing. And like the leaders within that space and those that are higher up in the ladder have a lot more power and influence when it comes to creating that culture and therefore that sense of belonging. So it's not all on you as a professional. Like you don't need to put the weight of all that on your shoulders. Like that is the point of having supervisors and other people within your department. And that is the point of having a team and team building and all of that. Um, so I've been in positions where I feel like, you know, I might not be feeling the best today, or I might not be feeling the best in this environment, but let me see what I can inject into this space and what I can provide for this atmosphere. And I think that's a very important like mindset to have, but it's not all you like, it's definitely more of a collective thing than an individual thing when it comes to that and going to this conference and being exposed to other individuals, especially individuals from a background such as mine, um, and like the kind of institutions that they, uh, you know, work at. And like, you know, sharing their stories, it just opened my eyes to like things that are past my horizon and like, you know, situations and experiences that I've never experienced or heard of. So it makes me think about like what lies beyond and like what's ahead within my own professional career and pathway. Yeah, I mean, and, and kind of to wrap up this, because we can go on and on, too, but there is another this, we'll definitely get to that keynote. Um, but. You know, I think that it's important to note that, um, you know, finding your people is is extremely important when you're in higher education. Um, and I, that really keeps you in that system. And I think going back to what you said, Case, like, you know, there were thousands of people at this conference, but they're probably like one or two people within their department or within their institution. Right. Like when they go back and they give this knowledge to the department about like what they've learned. Right. So that's even a barrier that they have to face, like because now they paid to come to this conference or their department has paid for them to come to this conference. And now they have all this kind of knowledge and work to bring back. So now there's another barrier where like, OK, here's my knowledge. Like, what are we going to do with it? Are you just going to like ignore it and like just, you know, I'm just going to keep it for myself or are we going to actually do something to make some changes? And I think that's another piece that um, that a lot of people probably post conference are. Like looking to do like how do they implement some of the things that they've learned at this conference. We could really go on and on. <laughs> Yo, facts. Oh, yeah, that, that session was just amazing. It was amazing. So um we're gonna we're gonna switch gears to, to the last topic of this keynote speaker. Um and then finish on off with any final thoughts on Encore, then move on to our, our little session on happiness. So um, you know, we had a one of the keynote speakers at Encore was Reverend Dr. William Barber the second. Um, if you know of him, he has served as the president of the NAACP in North Carolina 
Um, he's a pastor of a church in North Carolina. He has multiple degrees. Um, he is he's leading the Poor People's Campaign in D.C. on, on June 18th. Um, and he, throughout his lifetime, he has been arrested 17 times, which I found extremely fascinating. Um, because we don't, for me, you, you don't really hear about people who have been arrested and like are speaking, right? Like for me, that those are times are like back in the sixties, right? When people are like Martin Luther King getting arrested, he's coming back and speaking. Um, so I think for me, like just opening up with, with that tidbit, I think was really interesting. Um, so let, I'm going to touch a little bit on about the things I learned from, um, Dr. Barber. And there were, uh, once again, a host of, of one-liners that he said and, I'm going to kind of touch on a few of them that he talked about. Um, but I think this goes back to our, you know, first gen conversation, right? He talked about too many people in power have become too, too comfortable with other people's lives. Um, and I think for me, that's extremely important, right? Because the people in power are really the ones who can change things the most. Um, it's that not a lot of them want to change because if they wanted to, things would be changed, if that makes sense. Um, another thing he mentioned was like, you know, during COVID, they wanted us to be essential and sent us to work because we were expendable. And I know that resonates with a lot of us who, you know, work through COVID or are still working through COVID, right? Like, um, he talked to Reverend Barber talked about like a, a new normal, right? And he's like, how can we get back to normal when people are burying their loved ones, like by the dozens, right? Um, so I think that was those are just uh, really important things that he mentioned. Also, he he was really galvanizing people to to attend the Poor People's March. Um, hear the stories about people who um, who are going through a lot more than than we are. Um, and he really asked begged the question, like you know, how not how much will these things cost to change, but how much will it cost to leave things like it is? I believe he had talked about. We spend more money um, on on homeless or keeping people homeless than we would spend on um, making sure that they got shelter. So it's just things like that that he talked about that like really, really inspired me. And I was like, I needed to do more um, because he talked about a lot of different things. So, yeah, yeah and that keynote was like I remember afterwards keynote. we just looked at each other like, wow, like we really needed to take a walk and like decompress because he just like talked about so many things happening in our world and our society today and when i say he took us to church like i am not playing like he was up there preaching and he was up there like talking that real talk and it was crazy it was really crazy but i think one of the biggest things that he said that like impacted me the most was that he said like this is a time to cry um this is a time in our nation and within our world where there is a lot happening and like tears need to be shed and what i think he meant by that was a couple things one of those things is like, I think it's important to cry or important to like express your sadness or your grief when it comes to these things, because that is part of the process when it comes to like eventually healing, um, crying and those tears or like expressing those feelings, however you need to express them is cathartic. And I think it's important to do that um, because if you leave all of that angst and all that energy bottled up inside, um, it, it can infect, it, it can infect you and affect you. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, and another thing that I think he meant by that was um, there won't be any kind of real actual change systemically or worldwide until people that are maybe like disconnected or not, not a part of this fight or any of these issues until they see the tears of others. So an example he brought up was Emmett Till, um, young black boy in the 50s that was abducted and beaten by a group of men um, because he apparently offended a white woman. Um, who and it came to light that like that was a lie, obviously, of course. 
But um, one of the things he talked about was how Emmett Till's mother in the funeral, she had an open casket funeral so that people can see what these men did to her son. And like, that was a very impactful situation because that was in the newspapers and like it was talked about everywhere in the country and like people saw that community and people saw those tears. So I think like what he meant by that was like the biggest way to make some kind of a change and to appeal to the empathy of other people is for people to see suffering and like not hold that in or try to pretend to be strong. Like you can be strong and also suffer and those th- those two things can coexist. Um, so he was just like really chopping it up and talking about a lot of deep stuff, yo. Yeah, man. Like, it, like he, he. If y'all can look him up on YouTube, his name is Reverend Doctor William Barber II. Um, like I said, he really, really, really talked about a host of different things, and um, that that room was packed. You know, we were floored. We were we, like you said, we went to church. Um, I think I'm going to end off with this one that he talked about, um, this little quote from him. He said, the good that you do today will be forgotten tomorrow, but do it anyway. Um, and that that resonated with me because for so many of us, right, we think like, does this matter? Right. Does what I uh, what I'm doing today, this person that I'm helping out, this mother that I'm assisting, this family that I'm helping, this student that I'm, that I'm talking to, does this matter? And I think it, it shouldn't matter whether it matters or not. Y'all should just do it anyway. We should just do it anyway, right? Because either that advice, that talk, that discussion, people will take it or leave it. But as long as you know in your heart that you're doing the best that you can, that you're helping this person, I think you should just go for it. So, yeah, lots of tidbits from Reverend Dr. William Barber II. Like I said, look him up on YouTube. Um, the Poor People's Campaign, he was advertising for it, so we're going to push that too. And Washington, D.C., June 18th. Um, so, Another keynote presentation that I went to was... Um... Deborah Santiago, she was the co-founder and CEO of Excelencia in Education, uh, which is a like federal national program that is meant to accelerate uh, Latinx student success in higher education. And she talked about a lot of stuff as well. Um, a lot of her stuff was like personal anecdotes and her being a Latina woman that was like, you know, navigating life as a student, as a professional, young professional, and now like, you know, leading the charge federally within the Department of Education for Latinx students and, you know, his, predominantly Hispanic institutions. Um, and how, like, again, like, this this conversation about buy-in and, like, trying to let people know, like, hey, like, this matters. Communities of people um, are struggling. They're being affected in multiple ways. And within these institutions that we are serving, how can we best, like, serve these students? Um, and, like, some people, like, they ju- there's just no buy-in, Um and I think, you know, bringing it back to the reverend, like, it's important for people to understand the trials, the tribulations, the issues, the suffering. It's important for people to see those tears, um, while at the same time, like, having power in your corner and knowing that you have a strong community of people also backing you, because um, it's not just you, like, you're not going through it alone. Um, so she talked about a lot of stuff, but definitely, like, I think my biggest takeaway from that um, was just to see another not even just a person of color, but a woman of color, um, a woman who reminded me of like my family members, like she could have been my whole Titi up there. Like it was just really cool seeing that representation and just learning more about her and her story. Yeah, man. And I, I think the the conference, like I said, we we were talking about the Encore conference, y'all. So this really goes into like whatever conference you, you're thinking about attending or whatever job function it is. The biggest thing is networking, right? And learning. And I think that that is severely understated because we, you know, we, we visited Portland. We had some fun there, too. We did a lot of things socially. 
Um, but really, it was a knowledge that we took away from from that conference and the things that we can bring back to our departments or even use for our own personal lives. I think is that is really helpful. So, yeah. Um, so we'll, we're going to switch gears a little bit to like any last last thoughts you got about um, in court case. Kind of, I kind of spoke my piece about it. Like, I just think if I have the opportunity to attend a professional conference with or without um, funding from your department or from your organization or entity, I think you should really consider attending. Obviously, conferences can be really expensive, but I think that it's important that you gain that knowledge. You make, you build those networks, um, especially at the time of COVID. If you're looking to really like get back out there and meet new people, um, like are, I said before, uh, this conference. Uh, was something that I paid out of pocket for. Um, and I treated it like an investment in myself professionally. And I'm glad that I did that. Um, I learned a lot. I was exposed to a lot. But ultimately, like, beyond it affecting me and impacting me professionally, it really impacted me spiritually. Um, and just like seeing a community of people that shared similar stories, had similar experiences, are all fighting the good fight in their own way, in their own lives, in their own neighborhoods. Um, and just like knowing that like I am not alone in this field, I am not alone with these feelings, with these thoughts, with these struggles. And like there are people out there that you can learn from and it might not be immediately around you. Like maybe you do have um, a department and a culture where you have those mentors and you have that sense of belonging, or maybe you don't. Um, but conferences definitely assist those that do not to, you know, experience something else, be around different people, s- learn more and see where your life can head to if it goes in a different direction. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, man, it was just very beneficial. Um, I learned a lot and it was extremely impactful. Word, okay, so we want to go okay, ahead so and leave let us me explain this transition a bit, just so y'all can understand why we're bringing this up. So... James and I have a habit, mostly James, I will say, have a, has a habit of asking people within like, you know, small That's talk conversations, fact. like, where are you from? Um, where do you work? Like, what's your job like? James will usually interject just randomly and really quick. He'll ask, so are you happy? And 9.5 out of 10 times when he asks that question or when I ask somebody that question, they're usually like get they usually get stumped like immediately. Like they look around, like they look at us and they're like, well, what do you mean? And the instance that I'm referring to specifically um, was uh, a time where James was sat down with somebody. They were talking about like their professional life and their work and how like, you know, all these exciting things happening within their job um, and what that looks like. And they had a lot of energy when they were talking about it and they looked like they were very fulfilled by the work that they do. Um, so then James asked this individual, like, oh, that sounds great. Like, so do you consider yourself to be a happy person? Like, are you happy? And their face immediately changed and the energy immediately changed. And I think it's really interesting to talk about that and unpack that. So within that conversation, yeah. anybody else that could have just like walked in and sat down might have thought that, okay, this person is definitely happy because of the work that they're doing, because maybe they're getting fulfilled by the work that they do. Um, but that wasn't the case because when that person, you know, started to unpack how they felt and what happiness meant to them, they stopped talking about work completely. Like it was no longer about work, which I found again, very interesting. Um, so I think like in terms of happiness and when we ask that question, especially within the framing and the context of like, you know, where you work and like within the context of higher education and like, 
Are you getting fulfilled by your job and the purpose behind that? I think there are a lot of ways that we can get purpose and like get fulfillment from the jobs that we do. But it's also important to talk about like your happiness and what fulfills you outside of work, outside of higher education, outside of colleges, outside of these institutions, because we are well-rounded, holistic human beings and we have lives outside of that space. Um, and like maybe your happiness comes from work and maybe it doesn't and that's fine. But I think it's important to talk about happiness and what that means for you how that plays into your mental health, into your self-care, and the idea of happiness overall. Um, this is a conversation that I've had with a couple people actually just recently, um, just because I've been thinking about it and I knew that we were going to talk about this in the podcast. But a lot of people that I know, and I will include myself in this as well sometimes, um, I am the happiest when I'm like out and about and like with friends and like on vacations and going on trips and like doing all these fun things and I think that's really cool and there's nothing wrong with that. But then like after the trip, after the vacation, after this conference, for a perfect example, you come back home and you're back in your living room and then boom, it hits you like, okay, you're done. We don't have anything going on right now. What's the next thing that I can do? Like what's, what's the next trip? What's the next hangout? Let me text my friend. Um, and I think it's because like us as human beings, we're constantly chasing some kind of a stimulation, like what's the next thing? What is the next thing that I can go to? Who's the next person I can talk to? What's the next activity that I can do to distract myself? Um, because we just want to be happy and we're constantly chasing that happiness. Um, there's a video that I saw online. I wish I could remember the title. I can't reference it. But there was a guy who talked about happiness and how um, happiness is overrated in the sense that people constantly want to be happy. Um, but that's not like a normal thing to constantly be in a state of happiness, to constantly be in a state of like being stimulated, for example. Um, because a lot of people will say that like, oh, if I'm not happy right now, it's because I'm bored. Um, and boredom and like, I have nothing to do. And like, I'm just at home and I got nothing going on. I'm not really happy right now. I'm just like really bored. And I think boredom is something that is very underrated. Um, and like, try to follow me along when I'm talking about this, because this is something that I've just put some personal thought into. And I'll, I'll, I'll toss it over to you, James, in a minute to get your perspective. Um, but for me, like, I've been thinking about happiness versus like boredom. And like, Word. when you're at your house, and you're not doing nothing, and you got nothing going on, and maybe you're just like, scrolling through social media. Um, and like, seeing all these other people like living their best lives or their perceived best lives. And like, oh, my gosh, I got nothing to do. And I got nowhere to go like looking for that next big thing. I think boredom is very underrated because to some boredom can seem like unhappiness. But for me, what I've been really trying to lean into is that boredom or being alone or not having anything going on. I'm trying to reframe that and look at that as peace and being at peace. Because I think human beings, especially within this generation and as a society, dealing with the chaos that has been the pandemic and just our chaotic lives in general we are constantly looking for that next bit of chaos. Um, and like when there's nothing around us and when there's nothing going on, all of a sudden it can feel like, oh, I'm bored now. Like I'm not being stimulated. Like there's nothing going on. Um, and I think it's really important to lean into that peace, to lean into that moment of silence and achieve some kind of stillness. It reminds me of like, you know, when we talk about like mindfulness and and meditating and things of that nature, I think leaning and chasing and trying to achieve some kind of sense of peace is a lot more important than a sense of happiness. So that was definitely a very long, <laughs> I just went off there for a second, but I want to ask you on some of your thoughts, James. 
That no, nah, that was good, man. And and I think like you are really passionate about that. And I think a lot of people they know that about you, but I think to, to dive deep into the happiness piece, I think is really good and how people define it. Um and like and it's just so ironic that you bring that up because I think each episode, only only four episodes of this podcast, but each episode I've talked about happiness. Um the first episode I talked about, I think like happiness versus money, uh, because one of my friends, Jerome, had had posed that question um to me. And like what that means. And like the second episode, we we touched upon it like as friends and, and all that. And then the third episode, graduating and um kind of diving into like what career is gonna make you happy and what people are making you happy. So it's just ironic that this fourth episode is now um, you know, we're discussing it. And I think that's important, right? Because for for me, um I, I had posed that question to this person because they had made a transition outside out of higher ed into um a different profession. And they were really passionate about it. So I was like, wow, like this this person seems really happy based on their career. Because for me, that happiness was was coming from my career, right? So I'm like, okay, well, it, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like this is coming from your career too. So when I posed that question to them, it kind of stumped them a bit. Um, but I think you posed a good question, Keisha, the fact that, you know, happiness comes from multiple places. And sometimes, you know, you're not always happy, right? You're not always happy whether it's your job, whether it's your relationship, whether you're at home kids, family, whatever it may be, right? There are some times to, that you need to, like you said, lean into that silence, lean into that uncomfortableness and, and kind of just, just be there and figure out, you know, what your next step is. Um, so I think you bring up a, a good question and a good topic about happiness, because for me, I'm constantly like seeking ways to like, like mentally, like not, not just make myself happy, but like, what's that next piece, right? Like, how can I keep my brain active? And like, like you said, stop that boredom piece, right? Like I'm, I'm bored now. I'm bored with my job. I'm bored with whatever it is. I mean, part of the reason why I came up with this podcast was because I was bored. I was like, I need something to do. Like I have, like my job is cool, but this isn't like, you know, this is the end all be all for me. Like I'm looking for something to really stimulate me. And I've been in this career for so, for not, for, for so long to me, um, where like I'm looking for something else to kind of stimulate my mind. So that's where the idea of this podcast came from, just out of boredom. So um, and this is something for me that makes me happy because, um, you know, we have both been mulling over kind of like starting a podcast, like what that concept looked like, all that stuff. Right. And, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of just get started with it because I think it's important that we want to have things to say. We have a good network of people. Um, and I think this happiness piece is definitely going to lead to another conversation we have. It honestly could be the next topic of our um, of the podcast, too, because I think th- this is something that a lot of people can take from, especially post-COVID um, or during COVID, depending on like, where your, your mentality is with COVID. Um, looking at like, hey, yo. you know, just everything, <laughs> all the chaos in this world, hashtag multiverse. Um, just think. <laughs> Just thinking about uh, like everything that's going on, and I think that happiness piece is something that's really important. So, um, yeah, we get we we got a whole other episode for that coming up for y'all in in, in regards to happiness. So, well, I'll, I think that's I'll a good idea. I think that we can sit down and chop this up a lot deeper, and maybe have a lot more content to share in the future. Um, within the scope of what we were talking about with the conference and with asking like other professionals about their happiness, I think the main takeaway is like discussing and unpacking what that fulfillment looks like and if you're achieving your purpose especially within your profession and what you do in your professional life but you can also like do this work and be passionate about it but this isn't the only thing that necessarily fulfills you because you could be killing it at your job um but then like you go home and what are you doing like still thinking about your job or working on some emails and like not really fostering any other kind of like relationships in your personal life or any kind of hobbies or any kind of like personal pursuits 
like you, like you said, like outside of work, I wanted to start up this podcast. And I think that's a really cool way of showing like how you can reach other forms of fulfillment outside of your work, because we get so wrapped into higher education and like these institutions and these departments. And if I'm happy or not here, where you can definitely achieve happiness in other forms of your life. So I think that's where I was trying to go with it. Um, apart from like the whole chaos thing and like talking about how we as human beings constantly need to be chopping something up, but that's just like a human condition, I guess. Um, but definitely a lot of content and a lot of things to chop up maybe in the future episode. Nah, definitely a fact, Joe. Definitely a fact. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna table that. But I'm glad we got the conversation started because this will get people excited. I mean, I'm excited too to kind of continue this conversation too for um for our next episode. So yeah, man. So you heard it here first, y'all. This is the Nobody Told Me About podcast, which we're talking about conference, talking about what that conference did for us, the education we've learned, some conference prep tips, as well as happiness and what that all means for See you. See y'all coming and stay in tune for another episode. See y'all.